You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Food for Thought. Your table is now ready. Your servers will be Nate Geary and Bruce Nolan. Our specials today are cold, hard facts and fresh, hot takes. Can I get you started with... I'm sorry, just one moment. Can I get a little energy in here? it up to you live on the Buffalo Rumblings VidCast Network. I'm Bruce Nolan, that's Nate Geary, and this is Food for Thought. Ladies and gentlemen, the topic du jour, the Bills won their first preseason game. Not like it really matters, but we're going to talk about it anyway. (laughs) Developments developed. Nate, how you doing, dude? Very well. Uh, this, um, This evening's Friday night crack, um... I don't know that I like that as the lead-in to the beer, but I'm, I'm playing with the concept. Anyways, uh, are, Bruce, are you familiar with uh, Big Ditch? I am not familiar with Big Ditch. Okay. Uh, so Big Ditch, first and foremost, is a local brewery down here in downtown Buffalo. And uh, they make a beer called Hayburner. And it's, hey, oh, damn, there wasn't a good joke in there to try to bring it in. But anyways, uh, it's known to get you really drunk very quickly, and it tastes very good. Um, so it's what you'd call the triple whammy. So it's a Friday beer is what you're saying. Oh, it's a Friday beer. It's absolutely a beer. I think where you were going for maybe, uh, the pour has to be, I think, moving forward, the pour has to be on video every single time. I think because that's I do it well. necessary. With the correct degree of angle, I think that's important. I think the joke that you were going for there was actually a hey, hey, burner, ba-dum, ba-dum. Ah. I want to know oh, ah. if you'll get me drunk. Yeah, that's where you were going with that. Yeah. Okay. And so, good evening, everyone. Good evening Welcome to everybody. To show up shows. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to lead this off and we're going to break the ice. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are here in the comments, share with me. Nate, share with me. What's the best thing you had this week, Nate? I am going to keep it simple, Bruce. Uh, we made uh, dinner right before the show here, um, and we, uh, we we belong to a local farm share here in downtown Buffalo on the east side. It's absolutely fantastic, the freshest of fresh vegetables. Um, and uh, we got some fresh bell pepper, uh, some red onion, and uh, a little zucchini. Put that on the grill next to a couple of chicken breasts that were marinating, uh, and I will tell you, it was uh, the veggies stole the show. I mean, I barely ate any chicken because I ate so much of the onion and the bell pepper. Uh, nice and grilled and charred on the outside, bone uh, apple teat, as they say. I had a a pretty good batch of potato soup this week that I was mm. very proud of. I put it on my Instagram. Obviously, if you're following me, did on I see? You already know. Did I see Bruce that mm-hmm. you like it shredded? I, I do. I put shredded potatoes in my in my potato soup. I say that as if I'm somehow the one preparing it. My wife is, of course, preparing it. But we like shredded hmm. potatoes. I think everyone kind of gravitates toward cubed potatoes. Yeah. But I got to be honest. I'm, I feel like there's something to unlock with shredded potatoes. I'm intrigued, especially with like a nice, heavy uh, broth, uh, cheesy broth. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I And now answer me this, Bruce. Before we move on, uh, how do you feel about uh, how do you feel about like fresh sweet corn in with the potato? 
with the shredded route because in the cube route it fits there because it's got like the round and the square and the texture works i'm wondering if the if, if you would ever go sweet corn in that route and would it go with texture wise with the uh with the stringiness of the I, I i'm not against it i think it's a great idea i might have to i might have to ask the gf to try that not opposed to it never tried it put it on the list Bacon my theory though, right? on food Bacon. generally is just if you if you like it try it once if you like it again keep trying try it. So, just to keep eating it I'm all over good. All right. So people in the comments section, Mr. Diggs says he had seasoned pork chops. Pork chops are like a go-to. Pork is like the absolute standard. It's like, it's so hard oh my God, Bruce. to really screw up badly. What's going on, man? You just look like you just had an epiphany. I screwed up so badly. I forgot to tell everybody that I had a full-on 150-pound pig roast last Saturday where I was not here on the show on Friday night. I Last Saturday, I had this 150-pound 10 hour over an open flame pig. And it was the most unbelievable experience I've ever had, Bruce. Somehow that's shame on your me. mind. Shame on me. Shame on you. Shame on you. Earth rocker in the comments says, miss a good bag of salt potatoes from Wegmans. Okay. All right. I see you. Chris Janke in the comments, shredded potatoes equals more surface area equals more flavor. Bruce, you know what? It's science. It's science. Ladies you and gentlemen, knew this was turning into a science show. It, it, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, Nate Geary and Bruce Nolan, the science guys. All right, moving back in. So some stories for the week for our beloved Buffalo Bills. The biggest one, the one that ended up becoming a national story and was picked up by national outlets was Deion Dawkins is working his way back. I think the interesting thing for me was that just shortly after Sean McDermott said he's nowhere close to being where he needs to be to help the team, he's going to take some snaps tomorrow against the Chicago Bears. And that's really working his way in quickly. But Deion Dawkins got a chance to meet with the media for the first time since coming off the COVID-19 reserve list. And he told a story about where he's been because really it's pretty much mums the word until that player is able to reflect on their journey on the list, whether that was in close contact, whether they actually contracted it, whether they were asymptomatic. We don't know any of that stuff really, unless someone blabs in this case, Deion Dawkins had a chance to tell us all about his scenario. He said he was in the hospital for four days, lost 20 pounds. It was a pretty sobering discussion listening to him talk about how sick he was. But I think one of the big turnarounds for me is he went from he's nowhere close to be able to help us to he's going to get some snaps on Saturday. And I think I was in a bad place, Nate. I don't know about you, but I was in a bad place when Sean McDermott said, He's nowhere close to being where he needs to be because I had visions of Bobby Hart dancing in my head and they weren't mm -hmm. dreams. They were nightmares, Nate. So for me, it was, gosh, I sure hope Spencer Brown is a quick learner because that's where I was feeling very uncomfortable. I don't want to see Josh Allen without Deion Dawkins. And if that extends into the regular season, I was going to be a little bit nervous. So for me, I was very encouraged and I'm very encouraged at the end of this week compared to how I was at the beginning of this week. Yeah, and I think it's a good opportunity for Dion to start working in a little bit of game shape. And you hear players all the time talk about it's really hard to simulate the type of movements that you make in a game situation, even in practice or scrimmages. Um, so I think it's important for him to sort of get up to game speed. But yeah, I mean, some of the comments earlier in the week that you know, hear Sean McDermott make about Deion Dawkins and his potential availability, you start to worry about, is that in doubt for week one? And And I think you know, seeing him play tomorrow um, will will go a long way. We'll we'll sort of see. I don't know if Khalil Max playing on the other side, but talk about a I think a preseason test for him. You know, and I think for for me, I, I don't need to see a lot of Deion Dawkins, but I think a, I think maybe one or two series uh, tomorrow, and maybe a couple more series um, next week than the last preseason game before they uh, before they they switch over to the regular season. I think that makes a lot of sense uh, to try to get him going and and, and start to kind of buffer him in a little bit. And and I do. Uh, I guess I don't want to make too much of the comments um, that Sean McDermott had about the, the the potential readiness of Deion Dawkins because it seems like anyways they're not going to put him in a game if he's not at least ready to go out there protect himself um, and and not put obviously whoever's playing quarterback uh, at harm either. So I think that's that's a good sign that 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 he's at least at that level. Um, and then obviously the a lot of what Deion Dawkins had to say was pretty eye opening and and I hope eye opening for a lot of people right. Uh, you know, hearing the story of a guy that's in much better shape than any of us here. Um, talking about the game, you know, consuming the game. I'm um, hearing about his stories and his his trials and tribulations. I it's, it was it was very eye opening, um, and I'm certainly glad that uh, that there there are no and hopefully no long term ramifications 
um, whether it be heart related um, or, or some of the many, um, you know, re reported on long term effects um, that, that that can come along with being infected with COVID-19. So the, the hope is um, that there are no real true long term effects that, you know, to cause him to. To, to, to maybe not play at the level that we've seen him play over the last two seasons, which I think is warranted, um, you know, top 10, top 15 in the league at his position. And I think it's, you know, arguably one of the most valuable positions in all of football. The Bills have Deion Dawkins at an unbelievable clip considering the level of play that he brings them week in and week out and the leadership that he brings inside the locker room. So to hear him say those things in front of the, the media, you know, as a leader um, of that football team, team, I hope, you know, resonates with some of the players um, that that may not be vaccinated on the team, or 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 maybe looking um, at COVID less seriously than they should. And I hope Dion's, uh, you know, his experiences um, and and his candidness uh, go a long way in, in in furthering the Bills' ability to to get through this season unscathed um, and not and not having any any guys miss any time at at, at key moments this season. So. Um, you know, hats off to Dion for for working his way back, and 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 thankfully, um, you know, we're talking about uh, you know whether or not he's going to get preseason snaps and whether or not he gets any snaps this season. Yeah, I'm ready to see him on the field, and I'm ready to see him kind of get ten or twenty snaps under his belt, the way that uh, Chris Settle in the comment section is saying, Sean made a point to say Dion took big strides this week to be closer. I think those big strides did a lot for my mental health this week as mm -hmm. it relates to protecting Josh Allen's blindside. One of the yeah. things that is common in the offseason is these bigger picture discussions around the most important players on the team and the most invaluable player. We just find different ways to list things. We love yep. to list things in the offseason because we're filling, we're filling the vacuum that is created when you don't have real football to be able to talk about. So for me, I think the thing that was interesting was every single time this offseason I had an opportunity to talk about Deion Dawkins, I always ended up having him a little bit higher than everyone else. And mostly it's because I don't think that Josh Allen is ever going to be an intrinsically quick trigger quarterback. I think that he's always going to want to make a big play down the field. He's always going to want to hold on the ball just a little bit longer. And because of that, I do think Deion Dawkins is going to continue to be an extremely valuable part of what this offense does. And I'm, for one, I'm, I'm really glad to see him. One of the other things that this brings us up, this brings us into this discussion is the importance of preseason reps versus practice reps. Nate, you were not here on the last Food for Thought, but one of the things we talked about a little bit on that episode was that fans have a tendency to weight preseason games more significantly simply due to access of other data being limited, mm -hmm. simply because it's just they don't have the availability of other data. They don't see every single practice the way the coaches do. But if you're a coach and you're thinking, gosh, it's really important to get reps, you see a kind of a dividing line in the NFL right now between the people who think it's really important to get preseason reps and people who don't think it's important at all. And there are more than you think. There's, yeah. It seems like anyways, there are more people that, that truly do value it than, than maybe the common fan or, or even media member might, might think. Where are you at with it? Hmm. I think there's definitely something to be said about situational football, um, especially in a year coming off playing in front of no fans. Um, I think it's important to get out in front of a, and, and get out and see an opposing, um, you know, fan base, um, whether or not it's, you know, a sellout tomorrow um, at Soldier Field. I'm not sure that that matters as much as it is just getting guys uh, more reps in situations where, um, they're not going to be able to perfectly hear the call coming in on the field, whether that's offense or defensively. I know Josh Allen's not playing, uh, but this is a good opportunity. I'm sure we're going to see some more defenders um, get an opportunity to play this week. I know Star Latule um, was sort of uh, posturing himself and getting himself in a position to potentially get some snaps um, early on in this preseason. So we'll see how that goes. I think there's a steady line. I think I'm very comfortable and uh, how Sean McDermott has approached the offense, in particular the quarterback Josh Allen. Um, I'm watching, you know, on the screen or or was before we started here. You know, Patrick Mahomes played a whole quarter um, and the drive that led into the second quarter. Um, I'm not sure I want to see Josh Allen do that next week uh, before the regular season. I think it's important to get some reps, some real time, um, some real time reps, particularly with guys like Isaiah. Um, uh, I'm sorry, not Isaiah. Um, well. 
Isaiah, but Emmanuel Sanders, right? Um, a guy that maybe hasn't had those game reps with Josh Allen yet. Um, get some opportunities to get some uh, get the running backs involved in the passing game, which I know that that Brian Dable was talking a little bit about today. Um, but that's something that this team, I think, is going to make a concerted effort to do, which is to get the ball in the hands of the running backs in space more often. Whether or not that's turning around or, or or handing the ball off to the running back, but potentially getting there, getting them involved in the pass game as well. So yeah, I think at the end of the day. Um, I, I, I think there's a fine line. I do believe that that playing is important and getting some reps, but let's be honest here. It's not for what we're talking about or what a lot of fans talk about, which is, you know, battles. There are there are not very many battles left on this 53-man roster happening and playing out in real time. I maybe, Bruce, would you say on a hand, on one hand, you can count how many guys could potentially one of these preseason games could be the difference between them making or getting cut on this team. I, I would say one or two guys tops. Like I, I don't even think I could fill more than one or two fingers. Okay. So off the top of my head, how about safety four between Tamar okay. Hamlin and Josh Thomas, Josh Thomas linebacker six between if they keep six between Dodson and Adams, the Tyrell, yep. the house of Tyrell, the Tyrell. Yeah. Let's go house Tyrell as the battle. House, house Tyrell. Yeah. I, I feel like we, we, we came across that nickname a little bit late in this process. We could have been really having late. that discussion. Really missed in opportunity April. in April. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely missed yeah. opportunity, no question. So I think House Tyrell, you got to worry about that. I think that the are they going to keep seven wide receivers? I think that's still a discussion because I think Jake Kumaro is pretty pretty set at wide receiver, and I think they want to keep Stevenson around. So are they going to keep seven? If it is, it is going to be Stevenson. I think. Are they going to keep a third quarterback is consistently interesting because historically they haven't, but last year they did because the COVID thing. So I'm inclined to say they're not going to because earlier in this preseason, Sean McDermott said, we're not going to keep a COVID quarterback, but Mitchell Trubisky is also on a one-year deal. So are they going to keep somebody like Jake Fromm or Davis Webb around with the idea that they just want to kind of have them around for next year? I might agree that there's a a quarterback – whether it's from or Webb, and I believe it'll be Webb that stays around and sticks around and, and is in the pra- on the practice squad again this yeah. year. I, I think that that makes a lot of sense, um, the relationship there. But I guess I'm not totally willing to turn the page on Jake Fromm's ability to maybe do some things over the next two weeks that might make them say, maybe this is the guy that we want to have on the practice squad um, because this is a guy that we believe, to your point, might be able to take over in that, that, that backup role. And maybe they – I'm not sure I view Davis Webb as like a long-term backup. Um, I believe what his role is very good at, which is, I think he's, I think he's a great guy to have in the room with Josh Allen. They're very good friends. Um, he's a good sounding board. I just, I'm not sure that I, I know that if, 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 if something were to happen, um, in the thick of a season, if I'm really willing to turn things over to Davis Webb. So the question is, you know, can you, can, can Jake Fromm play well enough to give you hope that he has that ability? I've got reservations. Um, but I certainly, I, I think he played well enough um in week one to at least say okay uh, we're open to seeing more reps and to seeing what you could potentially do with them to make this football team nate geary noted jake from apologist that's right all the points <laughs> that is right noted uh i i once uh you can find me on twitter uh once comparing him to one drew Brees. ah uh, yes the running jokes are very good they're very strong yes, yes. very strong inside jokes so i think that that's interesting i think that um the Defensive line is still interesting. Are they going to keep 11? Are they really going to keep 11 defensive linemen? I think that's still something to think about for me. So there's a couple things, yeah. but not nearly as many as there have been in years past because there's no. more locks than in years past. And yeah. so I think that there are less of them. But one of the things that I am anticipating you seeing moving forward in the NFL that I think people should keep an eye on is the increase in joint practices. I think as preseason games get lesser and lesser, we have three now, we used to have four. I'm sure eventually we'll go to two. I think when that happens, you're going to see an increase in joint practices because it allows you to get the benefits of preseason in a more controlled environment for coaches. They can decide ahead of time with the other coaches, hey, I want to work on red zone. The Browns and the Giants just smashed red zone stuff for like two straight days. And you can't manufacture that type of thing in a preseason setting. You have to hope you get a crack at it to work on that. Now, preseason games have value because obviously the swing of things, the pattern, the, the, okay, let's dress rehearsal, right? Same way that dress rehearsal does. But you can't just run the same scene over and over and over again until you get it right. I actually really like where this metaphor is going. It's a little bit like 
you know, drama and theater. And the fact that dress rehearsals are good because it gets you in the normal swing of what getting into hair and makeup and getting into props and doing all that stuff like that gets the, you get in the swing of it. But you can't just run the same thing over and over and over again until you get it right. But you can do that in joint practices. So I think we're going to see that in yeah. joint practices kind of increasing moving forward. You are listening to Food for Thought on the Buffalo Rumblings Vidcast Network. We promise two things here. Cold hard facts, fresh hot takes. Don't forget to tip your servers if you're in the YouTube chat with us. YouTube Super Chats get priority. Let's go grab something real fast. Jason Hawkins says, Bruce, how long do you see Mitch Trubisky paying tomorrow? I think Mitch Trubisky is going to play a decent amount. Yeah. And I think he's going to throw more passes than he I did would bet last that. week. I would bet that. If, if I'm going to bet on preseason, I think the one thing I'll bet on is that Mitch Trubisky gets more passing yard, uh, at, at least more attempts um, come tomorrow. I they, he, Not not for any evaluation purpose, but I think there is a level of it, – it is interesting to me. And I, I don't know you know what – I don't, I don't under, fully understand what happened with Mitchell Trubisky in, in, in Chicago. I think there's a lot of – a lot of things you could talk about why it just didn't work out there for him that a lot of maybe which weren't in his hands, but I do find it really interesting just how much his teammates already like him here in Buffalo. Um, and, and he, and seeing Diggs, you know, kind of uh, reach out and, and post on social media about it. I, I, I find it really interesting how well liked it seems like anyways, this early that Mitchell Trubisky is considering this is a guy that, that kind of just walked in here a couple months ago. Absolutely. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay. The main course mm. is around, ladies and gentlemen. You went through some appetizers. You went through an hors d'oeuvre. But... The meat of the conversation is here with us. And that, we're going to go to Mr. Marcel Louis-Jacques, Buffalo Bills beat reporter for ESPN and ESPN.com. Marcel, dude, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. I love the commitment to a bit here. I was hoping to see your face again as one of the, like, 18 people on planet Earth who have seen it in person. But it's okay. You know, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. But will we? I love being here. I don't, think, I don't think we will get there. That's the thing about it. Oh, we like me and Bruce, not not you. You're not. If you're not in the 18 by now, like it's. 20 no, I am. I, I was before you, by the way. I was before yeah. you. Uh, yeah. You're 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 not part of the cool kids group, Nate. I don't know if I, no, I don't I, know how to tell you this. We actually I started the group. We actually brought Marcel on specifically so that this wouldn't be awkward. We could, It's kind of like breaking up in a public fashion. You know, you always want to take her to a place where she's not going to throw a scene. That's a, basically what's happening right here. We were hoping you weren't going to throw a scene, but I'm sorry to tell you, we got something to tell you. Marcel and I are now buddies, and you're not part of the group anymore. You, Nate, you, I'm sorry. Miss, you misdialed. Let me say. Let me say that uh, if you thought I was not going to make a scene just because Marcel's around. <laughs> I'll tell you what. You you teased breaking news. Here's the breaking news. I'm actually the other host of Food for Thought. You are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're you're you are not you're out. you're out to put it to put it bluntly you are just you are not you're 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 out i'm actually the second co-host here if we <laughs> marcel um you know first and foremost we start every show by talking about our favorite meal for the week um uh, from this past week so why don't you throw at us like what your favorite meal was because i know you tend to get around town 
uh, and, and try a, new, a lot of new places very often. So, like, what was your most recent uh, – maybe it was something uh, home-cooked. I don't know. Uh, no, the uh, I, I am in the process of, of moving apartments, moving out of my apartment. So uh, the home-cooked meals have been, you know, down bad, struggle city, a lot of ramen. Mm. A lot of a lot of breakfast sausage, you know. We're not going to get into that. It's a little embarrassing, but yeah, we, meal, we said best meals, not uh, not 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 peasant food. You you said home cook. You said maybe it's home. Cooked. I said I'm here I to said tell you home cook question mark. Like not you don't have to tell us what you've been cooking at home. Just if if your best right. meal was home cooked. You're disrupting the creative process. You're no disrupting doubt. the art here. No but not just get out. The best meal of the week. Uh, surprise, surprise. It was at Brightsmith. Went there on Monday. Got the chicken sandwich. I know that, you know, y'all have seen me tweet and talk and gush over this thing. But the difference here is you can ask for it with the fry seasoning, the Cajun seasoning on the chicken sandwich. Yeah. And that turns it from a 10 to a 12. Like that was mm. the, that was the one. The man. missing, that, that was, was the, the missing one. piece. Yeah. They, they have not missed yet. Somebody, I, I was, I was out with somebody earlier this week and, uh, you know, talked to them about Brightsmith. They're like, oh yeah, you know. I don't know about their beer selection and blah, blah, blah. Their beer, beer geek, big beer geek. It's like, to be quite honest, I keep forgetting that Brightsmith is a brewery. They do beer. I'm just here. I'm here for the food. Like, I'm at the brewery I, for the food. Yeah. I, I've never gone to Brightsmith saying like, oh, like I'm trying to go out tonight. Let's try to go, trying to go get some beers. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go tie some back at Bright. No, I'm there to eat, man. Like it is, it's the best brewery food you will ever have in your life. So yeah, that's the, uh, the fry seasoning, the location chicken sandwich at Brightsmith meal of the week, hands down. All right. So Marcel, one of the things I want to talk to you about a little bit is that preseason game two is going to have a different cast of characters for the Buffalo Bills than preseason game one. Specifically, we mentioned Deion Dawkins is going to have an opportunity to play a little bit and the return of Zach Moss. And so with those two things being markedly different this week than they were last week, in addition to potentially Starla Tulele, what, what do you think the Bills are probably going to be looking at working on this week versus last week? You know, last week, obviously, Mitch Trubisky threw the ball twice. That was it. Threw the ball twice. And it was pretty clear that they wanted to work on the run game. Like, that was a, a, a point of emphasis going into this. Knowing that they have a different cast of characters, part of me says, okay, they're probably going to do a lot of the similar things because they have a new running back and they want to see Zach Moss in those same concepts. But on the other hand, I think, I just said that Mitch Trubisky is probably going to throw the ball more and he's going to be in there at the same time as Zach Moss. So I have competing priorities here. I don't know what to say. Do you think the plan's going to look differently? You think the things that they want to work on are going to look different this week? You know, I think that the the world and by world, I mean the internet wants to see the Mitch Trubisky revenge game. They want to see 20 pass attempts in the first quarter. They want to see him toss 200 yards and blah, blah, blah. And it's just simply not going to happen. I think that Buffalo <laughs> knows what it has in its passing game. Like that there is, if you go through the, the their offseason interviews and press conferences, like they they never say, we want to improve. We want to do this on our pass. They don't. They got. It's a different beast. And like you said, without Zach Moss, Devin Singletary got a lot of work last week. Matt Breida got some work. Antonio Williams before he left with that stinger. I think we're going to see a decent dose of Zach Moss during that threshold where the starters are going to play. I, I that that's going to kind of be the focus of this offseason, or this offseason, this preseason, is establishing that run game and getting it comfortable before that week one match against Steelers. I, I do expect Mitch Trubisky to throw more than a couple passes. The offense this week has been I mean, comically unstoppable. I, I, I really do believe that. Uh, I, I really do believe that that's going to be a, a point of emphasis to, uh, to to really establish the offensive dominance over what's what is a a, a good and a deep Bears D. But uh, yeah, I, I'd expect to a heavy dose of Zach Moss early on um, before we get into Davis Webb and and, uh, and Jake from territory. Yeah, and you know, I think the interesting part too, Marcel, Mark. about this 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 running back field, anyways, this this group that they've got. I think Matt Breida brings a little something, a little extra juice, at least speed and in, in runaway speed wise that I don't think they had last year with TJ Yeldon. I think there was a lot of redundancy in how they win at, in that running back room last year, and I think you get a little bit more versatile with Matt Breida. I guess we didn't really see much of that in the first preseason game, and maybe. 
I, I don't know what you've seen from Brita so far in this uh, in this training camp that maybe suggests what we saw in that game was maybe more of a product of playing behind a second offensive line and not a lot of starters there. And and do you believe that there is a genuine role that Matt Breed is going to play on this season, even if all three running backs happen to be healthy? You know, we heard Brandon Bean say this offseason that Matt Breida fills a role that they do not currently have, which or did not presently have at that time, which is a home run hitter. Neither Devin Singletary nor Zach Moss are the kind of guy that's going to break off the, the, the 40, 50, 60 yard runs. They're not the kind of backs that if they get a sliver of space, they can take it to the house. And, and that's the kind of role that Matt Breida is going to play. But throughout training camp, I, I thought he's been I thought he's been fine. Like I thought he's been fine. We're, we haven't seen him do the 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 big plays. We haven't seen the the four three speed at, at full display. You know he can get to a spot quickly, but it, I still don't really believe that Matt Breida is the kind of guy that you run between the tackles. Mm-hmm. And it, I I don't think he offers a versatile enough skill set that when he's on the field, defenses can't more or less tell what you are uh, what what you're about to uh, what you're about to run. But you know he, he's a good pass catching back. Uh, obviously the, the speed and, and the athletic traits that they're on display, they're obvious, but, um, and I, I do think he makes this final roster, but I, I've never been that really excited about the Matt Breida edition. They, you know, the stories of Travis Etienne and, and the takes, they, you know, they're, they're out there. Everybody knows about that. Everybody knows what I thought about him. I do not think that Matt Breida was, you know, I don't want to say suitable replacement because, you know, who am I? He, he wasn't judgment, plan A. He wasn't plan A. I really don't think that that was uh, – I, I really don't think he, he's going to be any kind of catalyst. I think he's a nice addition. I don't think he's any sort of catalyst to this, this offensive success. You are listening and watching Food for Thought with Nate Geary and Bruce Nolan here with special guest Marcel Louis-Jacques from ESPN. Marcel, one of the things that you said a little bit ago that I want to ask about is that the offense this week has been, quote, comically unstoppable. When you are watching a practice and you see a unit, whether that's offense or defense, and they're just absolutely dominant, do you interpret that as domination from that unit or a failure of the other unit? So when you watch the offense absolutely light up the defense, which part of you is stronger? Hey, that was a really good play by the offense or, oh, goodness gracious, mm. we need to be concerned about this defense because it, it, there's this weird duality that comes with preseason and takes against your own team where you don't, sh- you're not sure what to feel. You don't know whether or not you're supposed to be happy that Josh Allen threw a deep pass to Stefan Diggs or whether or not you're supposed to be sad that Tredavious White got burned. You don't know how to mm. feel. It's a strange duality. How do you decide how you mm. should feel and how to report that? Yeah. And you know, it, it I'm glad that you brought that up. I, I try not to to say things like, a, you know, the defense dominated today or the the offense was da 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 better because it, it's kind of it's kind of arbitrary, first of all. And I only I really only get one look at it. I I know that yeah. there have been a call or two for for more you know, technical jargon and more breakdowns about about training camp, but in all reality, what fans and what people see from the stadium are different from the perspective that we get day to day at practice. We're not allowed to film team drills. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm a man, I'm mature enough to admit that I can't break a, a play down completely on first view. Yeah, watching at one time. Yeah. That's not, and I don't even think most coaches can do that. That's why when we ask them after the game, what happened on XYZ, they say, oh, well, I've got to go, I've got to go watch the film. I've got to go watch the tape. So it, it, it is difficult unless it, it's, it's very obvious, you know, a, a a one-on-one matchup if if yeah. Stefan Diggs clearly beats Trey or, or or Levi on a route. You know, if he clearly creates separation, then yeah, I'm I'm counting that as a win for the offense. If Greg Russo blows by Daryl Williams, the, I'm, I'm gonna count that as a win for Russo in the defense. But uh, other than that, it, it is really hard. It is really hard to pass that sort of judgment. And and that kind of that doesn't even stop at the preseason. That does extend into the regular season because we can we can guess, we can make educated guesses, but it's still a guess as to what exactly players were asked to do and what exactly their assignments were on any certain play. But the reality is we do not know. And they're, even if we ask, they're probably not going to tell us. And that's why things like, you know, you, you see you see grades and you see ratings and blah, 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 blah for every, it's so hard to do that as a reporter and, and as a third party 
because we are not in that meeting room. We don't know what their goal was for the play. We don't know what they were trying to set up. We don't know what they were asked to do. So it, it is pretty it is pretty tricky to, to find out. But it's one of those, when you see it, you know. When, when a win happens, a true win happens, you just kind of know. It's difficult to describe. It's difficult to explain. But when you see it, it's pretty apparent. Uh, I'm Nate Geary. My co-host is Bruce Nolan. This is Food for Thought Podcast on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast and Videocast Network. Joining us, obviously, here now live is Marcel Louis-Jacques of ESPN. And Marcel, the kind of next phase, and you mentioned his name, Gregory Rousseau, the Bills' first, uh, the Bills' first-round pick in this uh, this April's draft. Um, I, I think, obviously, probably turned some heads for people that haven't been watching in camp um, and, and watching him play in a down-by-down basis. I think I think we're starting to see the presence of guys like Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes and sort of his development early on here because there's only so much coaches, position coaches can do on a day-to-day basis. You really have to, re- to rely on those, those veteran players, which is why, by the way, Mario Addison is still here and will likely make the team. It's probably less now about what he brings this team on the field. Is he going to be a guy that can bring 10 sacks, but is he a guy that can help Gregory Rousseau grow in his rookie season? And, and obviously people that were watching an NFL network got their first glimpse of Gregory Rousseau. I was talking about this with you, about this with you earlier. I think there was this, this sense with Rousseau that, Maybe it was luck. Maybe it was, we don't know exactly what it was to get 15 and a half sacks in his first year in Miami. What have you seen in the preseason in, in that game last week against Penny Sewell, by the way, you know, who's a top five pick. Um, and and what do you see now with uh, at least every day in practice that suggests this is not only a guy, because listen, Marcel, a lot of people were saying, well, Boogie Basham's going to be the guy that that is maybe ready to play right away, right? Like that was the that was the narrative going to training camp. Basham's the guy that's going to be out there right away. He can bump inside. Maybe we see some situational pass rush situations from Gregory Rousseau, but this isn't a guy that's going to push to start. Are we not talking about that enough as a potential that Rousseau might be one of the more dominating figures on the edge for this team? Yeah, I mean, there was also a, a narrative that Spencer Brown was going to start at right tackle. So like it's 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 meaningless yeah, yeah. to put to these things through directly after the draft. But no, we did talk about this earlier, and the main point was you don't luck into 15 and a half sacks. That is an extraordinary number at any level of the game, especially for a guy that that was his first real that was his first full year at the position. He's a converted wide receiver in safety. What you're seeing is you're seeing the footwork, you're seeing the the length, you're seeing the bend in athleticism, you're seeing the technically sound play from Greg Rousseau throughout the preseason, and. You know, this the NFL is a um, it's a kind of a morbid league in some ways where, you know, careers have been made based on injuries to other players. And I think in injury, the NFI list uh, designation for Jerry Hughes, I think that created a massive opportunity for Greg Rousseau to get more reps where they ordinarily would not have been there. So he is used to practicing alongside starters. He's used to practicing against starters. And even from, you know, the early days, you know, where it's his first real team play in roughly two years, you could tell, okay, there's a lot of potential here. There's a lot of talent here. And, uh, you know, for him to, on his first true pass rush or one of his first true pass, pass rushes of his NFL career, for him to beat Panay Sewell, who a lot of people have pegged as an all-pro Hall of Fame caliber talent you know entering uh, yeah. entering the draft for him to beat a player of that caliber uh, I, I thought was was impressive regardless of i've seen some skepticism as to like whether he really brought him down or if Goff just kind of ran into it it, it doesn't matter, he, doesn't matter. He, won the, yeah. he won the pass rush he won the pass rush you don't always have to necessarily bring a quarterback down you have to win your pass rush and create pressure and that is uh you know when you do something like that when you've got guys like Jordan Poirier, Micah Hyde, Trey White, Levi Wallace, all certified ball hawks, you don't have to bring the quarterback down. You just have to force him to make a decision before he's truly comfortable making it. And I think Greg Rousseau has a high probability of doing that on a consistent basis throughout his rookie year. Uh, I, I really am a, uh, you know, I, I love what the Bills have done on their defensive line this year. We heard Sean McDermott say after the game that they were intentional in improving that part of the ball. And, you know, while maybe maybe the casual observer of the game thinks, okay, improving the line means adding a a J.J. Watt or adding a Yannick Ngakwe or, you know, adding a a Carl Lawson or a guy who, you know, you think can get double sacks. No, 
I, I think perhaps maybe more effective is adding depth to the line to where you can send wave after wave after wave of pass rusher at opposing quarterbacks and wear enough offensive line down over the course of the game. And that's been one of the most, you know, one of the most noticeable things I've no, I've seen in practice during training camp is, and, and, you know, as, as Bruce said, you know, where do you say, okay, the offense mm. is good versus defense is bad. You think, okay, wow, the second team offensive line is really struggling. The third team is really struggling. No, they're not necessarily struggling. They're just playing against players who could very possibly start for <laughs> Buffalo. Like, it, it's going 10 deep right now. And, and when you've got – and I'm just pulling names out of a hat. This is not indicative of where they've been practicing. But when you've got, like, uh, you know, when, when you've got Steven Gonzalez playing against F.A. Obata, that's not – that's not a fair matchup for Steven yeah. Gonzalez. F.A. Obata is a starting caliber talent for some team. And uh, so it, it's, it, it is noticeable. It is obvious how much depth the Bills have on their defensive line. I believe I projected six d- uh, defensive ends making this final 53-man roster. We might have to push that up to, to seven. Like, I, I think it's, it's really hard to leave a guy like Obata off the roster. It, it, it's uh, – it really is like I, I think fans are going to see a completely revitalized unit from this team this coming season. And that's one of the things that Nate and I were talking about before you hopped on was, are they going to keep seven? Is it blasphemous for us to even suggest that potentially 11 defensive linemen make this team and and you got to have to make cuts everywhere else? But it is the strongest part of this team. It is a part of the team that was shifted around the most in the offseason. And if you look at Sean McDermott's success with previous teams, it was exactly what you said. It wasn't a singular dominant talent. It was waves and waves and waves. It was that way in Carolina. It was that way when he had success in Philadelphia. It was that way everywhere he's been where he's had pass rush success. So I want to take something that you were talking about in regards to Gregory Rousseau, and I want to spin that into a little philosophical question. And it was specifically about the pro-ready label the ready-to-contribute year one label. And I think that the reason that got put on Boogie Basham and not put on Gregory Rousseau is only due to college games played. Mm -hmm. It was just experience level. And I'm starting to wonder if maybe experience level in college is starting to pollute us a little bit, that we start to tag these people with pro-ready labels, when in reality, if you have a special trait that can work at the next level, you can be at least partially pro-ready day one. If you have some special trait, I mean, think about all the different times when you hear a defensive line coach or a defensive coordinator, and they are talking about a pass rusher, and they'll say something along the lines of, well, early on in his career, he was just relying on his athleticism, but now he's really started to build up his repertoire. He's really started to develop his pass rush moves and his counters. Ron Rivera said the exact same thing about Chase Young just recently which is crazy because Chase Young was extremely technically refined coming out of college. But that's a common phrase. Maybe, maybe pro-ready should be utilized a little bit differently instead of just he was really experienced in college. Instead of that, we should be taking a different approach to pro-readiness. And it is if you have a trait that can cause you to win right now, you're pro-ready. Am I crazy I, I, or what? No, I don't think you're crazy. And I think like this spills into not just college football. I think this is uh, – we see it a lot in college basketball as well. And, and guys like, mm. you know, like maybe Donovan Mitchell who was – or anybody really who plays for Duke, they're, they're playing within a system. And I think really context matters there. Uh, you mm. know, what they're asked to do matters. But elite traits really stand out. And that's where the, the upper echelon of, of scouting staffs and pro scouting staffs really show themselves. And I think the Bills have an upper echelon front office staff to be able to find guys like, like Greg Rousseau at the end of the third round or first round to find guys like Boogie Basham in, in the second round. I, I think that it shows how effectively, how efficiently these guys really do their homework. And, uh, you know, Boogie Basham, he did get, he did get a lot of the pro ready hype because he played more, uh, you know, Rousseau didn't have the, didn't have the, the the tape and didn't or all the 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 length and the uh the the experience and the games played and, and blah say blah but I, I i wrote about this a little bit when they signed josh allen i think that this front office has a an immeasurable 
amount of confidence in their coaching staff to develop players. We hear it all the time. And I don't think it's just, I don't think it's just grammar. Like, I don't think it's just them saying, you know, come here and be your best self, be your best self. I think they really believe, and not I think, I know they really believe they can take any player in the league that they like and that fits their system and they can turn him into the best version of themselves. And, and that's what makes, that's what's making this run, this Buffalo window so rare is that they've been able to keep a staff like this intact for, I mean, we're on, we're, we're four years running at this point. And, uh, you know, Western New York fans, you know, Bills fans throughout the country, you really have to enjoy this because it's not going to last forever. I, I would be, I said this last year too, but I, I would be stunned if Brian Dable's not a head coach next year. I'd be stunned if Leslie Fraser doesn't get an offer, if Ken Dorsey doesn't get a coordinator job. Like it, it would be, it, it is something that you don't see at the NFL level. This is something maybe you see at the college level. Uh, it's something you're, you're seeing at, at Clemson where Brett Venables and, and uh, Tony Elliott ha- have been there for, I mean, nearly a decade, but you don't see it at the NFL level. So I, I think a lot of that is a tip of the hat, a tip of the cap to, to Buffalo's coaching staff and their ability to develop and coach players to, to identify elite traits, like you said, and extract the most out of whatever player, prospect, veteran, you name it, that walks through those doors in Orchard Park. We got a super chat here from Earth Rocker. He says, because we play base nickel, does it make more sense to have more on the D-line? I'm going to let Nate and then Marcel hit this real quick, and then we'll let Marcel get out of here and get on with his evening. Nate, what do you think of Earth Rocker's super chat here? Yeah, I think maybe the argument, and I know uh, I, I don't want to get Bruce going. It's this is uh, we're 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 starting to wind down. This is like you don't want to you don't want to ruse the baby. But um, I would say if you're playing more nickel, you might want more corners, right? Um, and this isn't a this isn't a defense that relies. Sorry, this isn't a defense that relies heavily on man coverage. Whereas like a team like the Dolphins, or you start to go all across these teams that really play a lot of heavy man. Those are the teams that I feel like maybe you want to carry some extra defensive line, particularly if you have specialty pass rush style guys. Um, I, I think the Bills, I mean, they run almost exclusive quarters. Um, they, they run some Tampa too, but this is a quarters defense. Um, and for me, you would think you'd want to really load up um, on defensive backs that that could bring some versatility. But I, I think that the it makes sense that this team, based on the needs they felt they needed, that they, they needed to create diverse ways to get to the quarterback. But and, and Marcel will echo this, I know, is it's not just about getting to the quarterback. And I think the 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 types of players the Bills got proved that. I think they want to be able to clog up passing lanes um with length, um, with with athleticism. And and I think part of being a good defender in passing lanes at the defensive line position is having a really good understanding of your of spacing and where you are and how to affect um, the quarterback more than just, you know, making big hits. I agree. And I'm, I, I believe and correct me if I'm interpreting your question wrong, earth rocker, but if, if you're saying like, doesn't make more sense to have more depth on, on the defensive line. I think no matter what your base coverage is, it makes sense to have depth at that defensive line because you're not going to, you're going to rotate defensive linemen more than you're going to rotate offensive linemen. You can take advantage of that lack of conditioning. You can take advantage. Just having that relentless pursuit is, uh, is, is priceless. And as, as Mario Addison told us, uh, I I believe it was last week, he was used in a, a, a lot, um, I don't want to say more consistent. He he played a lot more snaps than I think he was expecting to play. He is a pass rush specialist, and he's having to play on on on. He was having to be a, you know a run the first and second down guy, right? Three yeah. down a three down defensive end, and that's not what he came here for. And that's not what I mean. We even heard Brandon Beans after the draft that like we can now use Mario in in certain specific type of roles in specific situations. Like I I think it, no matter what base coverage you're in, you want depth at the defensive line you want versatility at the defensive line i mean we haven't even talked about that uh that incredible personnel grouping from the lions game of of uh you know epinesa basham obata and rousseau on the same line mm. that is i mean to have that kind of that kind of of talent to play with i even asked son about it. i was like you've never been able to do that throughout your entire time in buffalo and i, I don't think he was uh and kind of see it in his eyes that you know he was like yeah you He's excited. I think they're excited yeah. about what the piece they have on there. But no, Nate is right. I, I think you're, uh, you know, if, if you're playing nickel, you better be deep at corner. And that is something that Buffalo has, as, as long as I've been here, that's something Buffalo has not been. 
they usually have they've got one guy who can replace the guy opposite Tredavious White, the, the player opposite Trey, um, you know, on any given week, whether it's Levi and Kevin Johnson, or it's Levi and Josh Norman, or it's Levi and Dane Jackson. Like they don't, they don't go too deep at, at, at corner. Uh, you know, if if Taron Johnson gets hurt, maybe Cam Lewis, Lewis can fill the spot. Maybe Saran Neal can do it. But I, I, this, the secondary has always kind of been one injury away from yeah. I don't want to say disaster because that's a little dramatic, but they've been one injury away from having real problems. And, uh, you know, that, that's been that I think that's why a lot of people, including myself, were calling for, you know, a, a cornerback to be drafted uh, this this past April. But uh, but no, either way, to answer your question, no matter what base coverage you're in, you're going to want to have waves of defensive linemen to attack opposing quarterbacks. MLJ. Dude, I appreciate you so much. Thanks for hopping on with both Bruce and myself. As always, we appreciate you. Go enjoy your Friday night. Thanks for making time for us over here at uh, at the Food for Thought podcast. We really appreciate you, bro. Of course, man. I appreciate y'all having me on. You know, I, I love both of y'all. One day I'll see Bruce Owen's face again. Really thought it was going to be tonight. Like I said, I'll get <laughs> over it. I'll have a beer. I'll forget. I hope. But uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's uh, it was good being on with you guys, man. Like, I love talking football with you. Appreciate you, Marcel. Man. Marcel Louis Jacques, ESPN Bills beat reporter, joining us there on Food for Thought. Bruce, uh, well, the lasting thing uh, that I think we should probably bring up and talk about here that that I think Marcel elegant, uh, you know, sort of elegantly stated, they are very thin, and I don't have to tell you, uh, they are very thin at the at the at the cornerback position in terms of depth. If you want to talk about polar opposites of depth in the defensive line and depth in the defensive backfield, we're talking about opposing ideas here. And I think the one thing that he mentioned, and maybe I'm I'm going to do the thing that I read maybe more uh, – maybe I'm reading more into some of the things that assistant coaches or the coaches on this coaching staff have to say. But um, I'm trying to think of uh, – it's, it's, a, it's a Kroll show, if anybody here watches the Kroll show. Um, a good quote from there is, when he speaks, he speaks volumes. And when these coaches, they speak, I take a lot away from what they have to say. And when Leslie Frazier – talked a lot about Siren Neal and creating packages and trying to find unique and creative ways to get him on the field. But hey, we got Taron there and Taron has really proven to be that lockdown nickel corner, but he plays a physical brand of football. And maybe we see some Neal because we want to give Taron Johnson some opportunities to get blows during the game and during long drives. So for me, Siren Neal has to develop into a really good replacement level player for this team. Losing Dean Marlowe, this is a guy that can play outside corner, can play slot corner, can play safety for you. He really brings that versatility. So he acts as a fifth safety and also as a secondary um, sort of Swiss army knife. So I think for me, if he can step into almost like that Micah Hyde role that Green Bay lost back when the Bills signed him, that would be a huge advantage for the Bills and particularly Leslie Frazier. And, you know, ultimately that would probably mean Saran Neal gets paid and goes elsewhere. Saran Neal getting paid to go play in a position and, and become the next Micah Hyde would be the best case scenario for this Bills team because I think they really need that guy off the bench. They need a sixth man in that defensive backfield. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you're never going to convince me not to pound the table for any more defensive backs. I told myself this year was going to be the year I was not going to get sucked in to a draft a corner high, and I did it again. In my predictive mock draft, I did it again. And it's nice that I have people like Logan in the comments who said flying on a plane right now and refused to miss the show. Just wanted to tell you guys, keep up the great work. Logan came with a super chat. Logan, I really appreciate it, man. We, we have been doing this for a couple of weeks now. The response to this show has been unbelievable. It has been unbelievable. You guys yeah. have been tweeting at me and telling me how excited you are about the show. And I'll level with you. The way that you get hyped up for the show is a little bit like the way I get hyped up every year thinking the Bills are going to draft a corner and it never happens. And every year I tell myself I'm not going to get sucked in, but yet I do. And so next year, I will probably happen again. I will get sucked in. This year, I thought my predictive mock draft had Tyson Campbell to the Bills in round two. He ended up going, of course, to the top of round two to the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I do think that having additional defensive backs is never going to be a bad thing. But I do think that the actions of this regime indicate to me that they are team pass rush versus team coverage. I'm not saying they don't value coverage. I'm saying that they, I think that they think the game is won and lost in the trenches up front. And because of that, they think that if you have the chicken, you can get the eggs. It's a chicken and the egg conversation, right? And some people think the egg comes first. Some people say the chicken comes first. It's the whole thing. Well, they're clearly team chicken. 
Because in my metaphor that's going on in my head that I'm literally creating out of thin air right now, pass rush is chicken and coverage is egg. Mm -hmm. So I think that that matters for this discussion to understand that philosophically the organization appears to just believe that pass rush is more important than coverage. That doesn't mean that they're not going to draft a corner. It just means from a prioritization standpoint, I don't think it will be as high. So we've got a few minutes. Now, as we are wrapping up with some mailbag and some Q&A, go ahead, hit us with your questions in the comments. Hit us with a super chat if you want to make sure that you get our attention. And while you are doing that and hitting us with some questions and we are answering them, we got a mailbag. Nate, we've got some mailbag to talk about. Hell yeah, we And do. it was from at Buffalo China on Twitter who sent me an email and said, I just saw a tweet that asked if Josh Allen was going to be the best quarterback in the NFL in 2021, and it got me thinking. Hmm. There's reason to believe that Josh can still be better. He's already identified areas where he needs to improve, and it's reasonable to believe that his methodical approach will bear fruit again. His trajectory may still point up. My question is this. Has his competition plateaued? Do you think the other elite quarterbacks in the NFL are known quantities, or are they still getting better? Specifically, I wonder about Mahomes. Was he significantly better in 2020 no. than 2019? And do you think he'll be better in 2021? So I will let you take this first because you're already chomping at the bit. Nate, what you think? I, I, don't, I don't mean for this to come off as a hot take, and I hope it doesn't. It, I, Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. He is who he is. There's he's playing at his ceiling pretty consistently. Um, I don't think there's I don't think there's more room up there. Um, and that's not a knock. I, if if he plays like this for the next five to ten seasons, he's going to be the best quarterback of all time. I don't care how many rings Tom Brady has. Patrick Mahomes will be considered the best quarterback of all time if he stays on this trajectory of consistency. Um, and oh, hold on, we got we got to bring this one up. Yeah, he he might be terrible tonight, but I don't care. Um, that's what he could be terrible in as many preseason games as he wants. Um, G dot seals says, um, in our comment section. But, um, I think for me, there's maybe a conversation to be had about Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson. Are those two players that we haven't particularly as a passer for Lamar Jackson and particularly as an overall, I can carry my team. I can be the reason we're winning instead of what Greg Gabriel said today when I was hosting the afternoon show with um, with Bulldog. We were talking about Andy Dalton in Chicago. And Andy Dalton's the kind of quarterback, he said there's two kinds of quarterbacks. Quarterbacks you can win with and quarterbacks that will win, that 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 actually win games for you. Not that you can win when you put everything around them. And I think if you're talking about quarterbacks in the league right now, I, I think you have to really surround Baker Mayfield with that type of talent for them to be successful. So for me, I think the only other guy I look at is Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson. Maybe you want to put Ryan Tannehill in there, but I think we've seen the best of Ryan Tannehill. Again, not a shot at Tannehill. It's pretty damn good, the best of Tannehill. Um, I think he's a top five, top seven quarterback in the league when you have top Tannehill um, playing. And now he's got Julio Jones. That, that That's a scary proposition if Arthur Smith um, and, and the loss of him doesn't really um, turn that, that offense sideways. But I think for me, it's because I don't know quite yet if we've seen Baker Mayfield ceiling, if we've seen Lamar Jackson ceiling as a passer. So for me, I think the rest of the AFC, you know what you have. The question is, I mean, at least now, I think we've got a couple of years to see maybe Trevor Lawrence play out and some of these other pieces can, 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 can once go back to the player we saw in 2015, 2016, because if that's the case, he's got an argument. I know people don't want to say, uh, hear me talk about, you know, uh, Carson Wentz, um, being in that conversation. But uh, the fact of the matter is he is, if he is that player that we saw earlier on in his career. So in the AFC, yeah, I mean, and then you talk about the NFC, who are we talking about that's going to take a leap? I think we know who we have in Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers at some point. They've been at this peak for so damn long. When are we going to start to see that start to tip? And typically at the quarterback position this late in their careers, getting into their 40s where, for Aaron Rodgers and, and these guys playing it this well deep into their 40s, this isn't going to be a slow and steady leak. When they take a drop, when their game falls, it's going to fall and fall quickly. Um, so on the NFC side of things, is Dak Prescott the guy that we saw for the first four weeks before his injury? Um, is that the guy, 500 yards a game, or was that because that team was down and couldn't run the football? Um, so if you're asking me, is Josh Allen the best quarterback in the league? I, I just have to wonder if we've seen the ceilings from Dak, from Baker, from Lamar. And if we have, then maybe. I would like to throw a wrench into this little conversation right here. What about Justin Herbert? 
I think that there's a real possibility that Justin Herbert, I'm a big Brandon Staley fan. I think Brandon Staley is going to do great things in Los Angeles for the Chargers. And I think there's a very reasonable possibility that Justin Herbert could take a significant step this year. Now, I think one of the things that was interesting about Herbert was how good he was under pressure last year. And typically, that's a very variable thing. That's not something that has a tendency to stick up year over year. You know who led the league? Yeah. Yeah. Fitzy. Of course, of course, Fitzy did. Fitzy. Of course, Fitzy so did. It's it's a rand it's a random thing to your point. It is. It is absolutely a random thing. However, it was also his first year. Mm-hmm. So you think even if that gets worse, but his performance from a clean pocket gets better. And mind you, mind you, the Chargers completely rebuilt their offensive line. We're talking a lot about the Kansas yep. City Chiefs rebuilding their offensive line this offseason. The Chargers rebuild theirs too. I mean, Corey Lindsley is a significant addition to that. Their first round pick is a significant addition. They did yeah. a lot of work on that offensive line. So even if he's not as good under pressure this year as he was last year, he may not have to be. He may not be under pressure as often as he was before. So I think Herbert's going to be fun to watch for this. But like you said, there are multiple different types of quarterbacks, as Greg Gabriel talked about earlier today on WGR. And specifically, it's you know quarterbacks who you're winning because of and quarterbacks you're winning in spite of. And when you look at the quarterbacks you're winning because of, Justin Herbert's one of those quarterbacks. So I think he counts for this conversation. I like his addition to the conversation. Um, I think he probably fits under that group of emerging young quarterbacks. I think time in the league means something to me about Baker and particularly Lamar, but but more so Baker because I think Baker's an enigma. I I I, I, I genuinely, as a guy that liked Baker. Um, that never thought in a million years a team would have the gonads to draft him first overall. I'm happy that he was drafted first overall. I still believe that if I could go back in that draft class, I think I still would pick Baker Mayfield first overall because I like, I just, I love his intangibles. He just has yet to really put it together for a full season. We saw it in the second half. He's the only guy outside of, I, I think Herbert is in a, is, is a, a really strong or a follow-up second season away from being in the conversation with Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. Do you believe that? I mean, is Herbert a above average, a top 10 type performance season in the second year in a back-to-back situation away from being mentioned in the Lamars and the Josh Allens and the the Mahomes? Yeah, I do think so. I mean, if any he's of you- He's not there now though, right? No, I don't think he's okay. there right now. For those of you who do not know, um, I have a proprietary quarterback metric that I utilize to attempt to ascertain how a quarterback performed holistically. And if you rank the quarterback stew, QB stew is the name of it. If you rank all the quarterbacks by their QB stew, Justin Herbert was 12th in the league this past year, right in front of Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield was 13th in the league. So I do think that he was an above average quarterback this particular year. And I think another top 10 finish from him. And you're having those discussions with him. Like you're having the discussions with, you know, Derek Carr and Russell Wilson and Tom Brady and Ryan Tannehill and Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, all the people who are in the, Hey, these are really good players sort of discussion. So Mm -hmm. for me, I do think he's probably a year away from that discussion. But if you want to talk about quarterbacks who are, peers to Josh Allen specifically obviously we have a tendency to think about AFC quarterbacks when we think that so when you think about that I think Herbert needs to be at least discussed for this discussion G Seals in the comment section says the teams that have overhauled their O-line might not see results for three or four games into the season absolutely possible you might see that scenario no question I believe it I absolutely and by the way I'm not and, and, and take what you will from a preseason game but watching that that first quarter with Patrick Mahomes I mean he was on the run a lot um, against a, a defensive line that doesn't have Jordan Phillips or JJ Watt or you know a, a Chandler Jones, so uh, yeah, I would start to worry a little bit because that's an offensive unit that on the left side looks to be young, or well, at least at Orlando Brown Jr. and Joe Tooney, it looks to be a very solid left side. I've got questions about Orlando Brown Jr. That right side, including the center, right guard, right tackle, have never played and a regular season NFL game together. And I think there's four overall NFL starts between the four of those guys. So I, listen, I, I think that that Kansas City had to remake that offensive line uh, based on the injuries that they had that they sustained last year. I'm not sure they're better though. Um, I you know I I I I, I like Joe Tooney. Um, listen, this was a team that was desperately trying to go get Trent Williams. Um, and they were they were willing to pay I'm almost a little upset that they didn't get Trent Williams. They didn't pay out of the ass for Trent Williams. That would have been a that would have been really interesting to see him them put another 40 
40 plus million dollar contract on the books uh, another what was it 45 or something it was something stupid um 50 million dollars for for Trent Williams or but even more than that um but yeah I guess my point here is I think it's there's a couple of teams the Ravens are another one that are going to take some weeks to gel at that offensive line position you talked about Los Angeles as well you talked about the team that's going to be walking into to Highmark Stadium in week one, the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are going to have a completely remade offensive line. So a lot to a lot to make of the of this league remaking a lot of the teams at the top, remaking their offensive lines, and to see all the continuity that the Bills were able to retain um, this year going into the 2021 season. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. Another successful four-course meal, hors d'oeuvres, mm. appetizer, main course, dessert. Mm. I hope you're full. I hope you're satisfied. I hope you're happy. Nate, any final words? Uh, yeah, so I think we're going to make a tradition of you doing uh, a weekly impression. Um, and I think the people deserve to hear you sign off um, as Barack Obama. Oh, okay. All right. So I guess, I guess I'm doing that now. Okay, so I guess we're going to sign off as Barack Obama as Bruce Nolan for this. Okay, here we go. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan. Buffalo rumblings. Claude 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.